Hey guys, it's a great day to live for Jesus. My name is Pastor Mike Grover, and this is the In the Word podcast, a twice-weekly devotional journey through the New Testament, where together we will stop, look, and learn what the Lord has to say to us today. So this morning we are in Matthew chapter number 12, and kind of cruising along here. And man, the heated opposition of the Pharisees really rises in this chapter. Now, I thought I'd pause in just a little bit about the Pharisees, okay? The Pharisees are one of several sects in the New Testament that oppose Jesus. You had the Pharisees, and then you had the scribes. Now, the scribes were Pharisees, but not all Pharisees were scribes. They were the the lawyers, the doctors of the law. They were the ones writing out the law. And then you had the Sadducees. They were kind of the liberal believers or the liberal religious people of that day. They didn't really believe in the supernatural. They didn't really believe in the resurrection. And then you kind of had the political group that opposed Jesus. They were called the Herodians. Not necessarily religious, but really against Jesus. So you have these four sects that really oppose Jesus. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Herodians. But it's interesting that Jesus reserves his strongest rebuke for the Pharisees. The ones, the word Pharisee means separate. So the ones that prided themselves in being the most separate, the most strict, the most straight, man, they got the greatest rebuke from Jesus. Not even the liberals, not even the politicians. It was them. And so you see this heated opposition of the Pharisees in this chapter. You see them mentioned in verse 2 and in verse 14 and in verse 24 and in verse 38. And in verse 34, Jesus calls them a generation of vipers, man, snakes in the grass. Probably the worst thing you call a religious person because the first serpent mentioned in Scripture is Satan himself. He calls them evil in verse 39, and he accuses them of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which is the unpardonable sin, which is attributing the miracles of Jesus that he did while he was on the earth to the works of the devil. And this is what they were guilty of. So you have these Pharisees, and they're opposing Jesus at every hand. And what's his response to them? His response is, verse 34, your heart is not right. He says, O generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's he saying? I can't expect you to say good things because your heart isn't right and good things come out of the heart. So Jesus' response in the Pharisees is your heart isn't right. And then another one, he basically rebukes them by saying that outsiders have more love for God than they do. Because he uses two examples in this chapter of people that showed greater attention and love for God than the Pharisees, and both of these groups weren't even Jews. He says in um, verse number 41, he says, uh, the men of Nineveh will rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. So he says, even the Ninevites who weren't even Jews, they're in a better position with God than you are. And then he talks about the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba that came to see Solomon. 
Verse 42, the queen of the south will rise in judgment with this generation and will condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. So what's Jesus rebuke to them? Outsiders have more love for God than you do. So how can you say you represent God? The Ninevites had more sense than you do. The queen of the south, southern Arabian peninsula, had more love for God than you do. So he says, your hearts aren't right. Outsiders have more love for God than you do. And basically then he accuses them and he says that they are seven times worse than a demon-possessed man. He's in this chapter of rebuke and argument against the Pharisees. And then he goes down in verse 43 and he says, when the unclean spirit, when the demon has gone out of a man, he walks through dry places, seeks rest and finds none. Then he said, I will, then he says, I will return to my house from where I came out. And when he has come, he finds it empty, swept and garnished. Then he goes and takes with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be unto this wicked generation. You understand the context of that statement? It's the Pharisees. It's this generation of vipers. It's this wicked generation. And what does he say? Religion cleans you up. It sweeps he says it, it decorates, it takes out all this bad stuff, but you know what it doesn't do? It doesn't put anything in its place. Religion does away with what it perceives to be bad, but it leaves itself in control, not God. And so what Jesus is saying there actually is religion leaves someone in worse shape than demon possession does. Man, that is strong medicine. Religion makes people worse than they were without any religion at all. Now that goes against our kind of morality, our moralist kind of view of things. Well, surely a religious person is better than that person that's out there in the streets hustling, living in crime, on drugs, you know, at least they're respectable, at least they're productive to society. Well, that may be true as far as society goes, but it's not true as far as God goes. Because God says that they actually end up worse than the other. They bring seven worse demons in with them, and I was trying to think what some of them could be. Maybe it's pride, maybe it's judgment, maybe it's hastefulness, maybe it's hypocrisy. It could be any number of things. And so Jesus says that. And by the way, Jesus in Scripture always reserved his greatest rebuke for the Pharisees, for the religious people. His greatest rebuke was not the sinner uh, on the street. His greatest rebuke was not the Sadducee, the liberal. His greatest rebuke wasn't even to the politician, the Herodians. His greatest rebukes were always directed at the religious, not the irreligious. Look in Matthew chapter 23. Man, it's just some scathing rebukes. I'll read a few of them. Matthew 23, verse 13. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, neither do you allow them that are entering to go in. 
He doesn't say that the religious are going in. He says they're shutting the door for people to go in because they're putting religion in a place of a relationship with God. Verse 14 of Matthew 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer, therefore you will receive the greater damnation. Verse 15, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you circle or compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he's made, you make him twofold more a child of hell than yourselves. He says, man, you have a missionary zeal that is unmatched, but what do you do with it? Man, you just try to convert someone to your way of seeing things and your way of looking at things, not to a personal relationship with Jesus. Verse 16, woe unto you, you blind guides. You go down further, verse 23, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And this is harsh. He says, you pay the tithe of mint and anise and cumin. And you tithe, you give a tenth of, man, the salt and pepper in your pantry. But he says, you've omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not to have left the other done. You blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Verse 25, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. And he's going on and on. And in verse 33, he says this, you serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? So Matthew chapter 12 here, Jesus is in this, man, back and forth battle with the Pharisees heated opposition, and he reserves his strongest rebuke for them. You see, when you read the Gospels, you'll find this. The irreligious, the unreligious, got Jesus' compassion. The religious got his scorn, got his rebuke. Why? Because Jesus isn't looking for tidy people. Jesus is looking for transformed people. And that's a matter of the heart. And no amount of external cleanup can ever take the place of a transformed heart that truly loves and worships God. The irreligious got his compassion. The religious got his scorn. Well, why is that? Well, think about it. Religion gives man the glory, not God the glory. And the Pharisees love to be seen of men, the Bible says. Why? Because they love people to see how good they were and how clean they were. You know what a true believer in Christ, we love to see, we love for people to see how good Jesus is. And we don't want them to look at us. Man, I, I want them to look right past me. I want them to look to Jesus. You see, he goes on here and he shows that religion is actually more in league with uh, Satan than the irreligious are. It's the, it's the religious here that he accuses of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It's the religious here that he says are in worse shape than the guy that was initially possessed with a demon. Why? Because they put things in place of their irreligion that actually blinds them from their need 
and the reality of Jesus Christ because they start seeing themselves as good enough. You see, religion misses the greatness and the beauty of Jesus Christ. He said the men in Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah, and he said a greater than Jonah is here. He said the queen of the south, man, went halfway around the world to see Solomon, and a greater than Solomon is here. What's he saying? Religion blinds people from the greatness and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And in the place of worshiping Christ, it substitutes a scorn for the world around it and a pride in self and how it doesn't take part in the world around it. Jesus said, this you should have done, but you shouldn't have left out the most important thing. And that's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. You see, one of our values as a church at Fellowship, our core values, is authentic living. And we say authentic living produces an atmosphere um, of trust. And it produces liberty to grow in grace. One thing I have learned in ministry and faith over the years is you can't help people if you really don't know where they truly are. So if we encourage people to clean up, to dress up, to look good, to kind of, uh, you know, put on your Sunday best, then we really don't see what their Monday through Saturday worse is. So how do we help people when we don't really see them where they are? That's why we say it's not perfection, it's direction. Why? Because we're trying to encourage not sinful living, authentic living. Why? Because when you can come in and share the true troubles of your heart, that produces trust. That produces liberty. That produces opportunity to minister to people where they are and help them to get where they need to be. And that is not to be religious. That is to see the greatness and the beauty of Jesus Christ, to worship him. Ephesians 4.15 says, but speaking the truth, that's our position, in love, that's our disposition, we may be able to grow up into him. So how do we grow up into Christ when we're in an atmosphere where there's truth spoken in love? So the word for the day is this, don't just give up sin, but give in to Jesus. Do what the scripture tells us over and over again. Follow me, Jesus said. So follow him today. Keep your eyes set on him. Let him change you from the inside out. And man, live authentically and let other people do that as well. Thank you for listening today to In the Word. Join us every Tuesday and Friday for new episodes as we continue our devotional journey together through the New Testament.